Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. It's a Friday. We've got Premier League football tomorrow. We've just had Carabao Cup football in midweek. Mental, crazy, nuts, bonkers, whatever you want to call that game at Anfield. It was all of those things and probably more. So we're going to talk about that game a bit, of course, today on the show. Isn't it really the most Arsenal thing you can think of to go to Anfield and score five times, five goals at Anfield against Liverpool and still somehow not win the game. To be leading 3-1 and to be leading 4-2 and not win the game. To be leading 5-4 with just seconds to go and not win the game. It is the most on-brand Arsenal thing you can possibly think of. And, you know, it's been a hell of a week, all things considered. On the pitch, not particularly great. Off the pitch, not particularly great. And it's got so weird, and people are so fed up with what's going on, that that there's this sort of, no, I won't say a groundswell of support for Jose Mourinho, but certainly more support for Jose Mourinho being manager of Arsenal than I ever thought possible. I mean, I just I just can't. No way. It it doesn't make any sense to me. Do these people not have memories? Can they not remember what a massive wanker this man is? Do they not remember what a terrible job he did at Manchester United with all of that money? How he, he lost the dressing room? How the players basically hated him? And when you're in a situation like Arsenal are at this moment in time, you need an appointment. If you are making a hypothetical new appointment, let me just throw that out there as a crazy thing that might happen in the not-too-distant future. I think you need somebody to come in and put out the flames, not walk in and throw oil all over them and make them even bigger. Like hiring Jose Mourinho is is like having an itch on your leg and rather than scratching it, you take out a chainsaw and chop the whole thing off. I just, I just don't get it. I can't get it. I won't ever get it. No matter how you try and justify it to me about his record, yes, he's had a great record down the years. Yes, he's been a brilliant coach, but come on. No way. Just no way. Mourinho at Arsenal, it's just, no, it's not right. It's not right. And I'm not talking about Wenger and I'm not talking about our supposed class and values and all these arguments that people throw at you when they say, oh, you just don't want Mourinho because you love Wenger or you think Arsenal have class and values. No, I don't want him because I think he's a wanker. And I think he's been one of the worst people in football for, for 15 years now like a figure of hate for Arsenal fans and for football fans. And all of a sudden we're supposed to go, well, yeah, things are a bit bad at the moment. Let's forget about all those reasons why we disliked him down the years and bring him on board. You know, 
Think about the examples of how somebody comes in from a club you don't like and you're sort of like, oh, you're wrestling with this thing where you go, well, now that they're an Arsenal player, I guess I should try and get behind them. I'm thinking, I'm thinking William Gallas here. That ended well, huh? That was great. That really worked out well, didn't it? When we got behind him and made him captain of the club and then he sat down on the pitch at Birmingham throwing a big strop. Quite relevant in the week uh, that we're talking. And I guess we're going to talk a bit about Granit Xhaka. And I am going to talk a bit about Granit Xhaka now in a second. But, you know, Galas is like, he's, Mourinho is sort of like the Galas of managers. Or Silvestre, Miguel Silvestre. You're looking at this guy and you go, he's rubbish. I've hated him for years. He's, he's in the final stages of his career. His performance level is dwindling. What am I supposed to get on board with here? So, no thank you. No thank you when it comes to to Jose Mourinho and Arsenal. I do think it is primarily a media invention. I think it's probably to do with Mourinho just making sure people know he's available again um, and taking advantage of Arsenal at a slightly difficult time, a slightly quite difficult, very difficult, horrendously difficult. However, However you want to look at it, whatever your perspective is on it, things aren't great at this moment in time at Arsenal. So who is the kind of person who manoeuvres things in their own benefit when things like that happen? What do you call that kind of uh, a person? I know there's a name for it where they take advantage of of difficult situations um, so they can make make hay for themselves. I can't remember the name of it, but there you go. Um, I can't believe I've even spent this long talking about how much I don't want Mourinho at Arsenal. It should be taken as read. So I'm going to move on. Um... The Granite Xhaka thing, it's Thursday when I'm recording now and you're listening to this on Friday or over the weekend and maybe, maybe we will have had some communication from Granite Xhaka but since what happened on Sunday, we have not heard a peep from the still remaining Arsenal captain apart from uh, him changing his Instagram profile, removing all traces of Arsenal. It was a picture of him with the Arsenal armband. Now it's a picture of him as a, um, a Switzerland player, Switzerland captain. There was, I think his bio said Arsenal player or Arsenal captain, and he changed it to Under Armour athlete. <laughs> if that's not as pointed as it gets, I don't know what is. But we haven't heard from him. We haven't he- heard a word from the captain of the football club after what happened on on Sunday. And I'm not sure really that that's great, to be perfectly honest. Um, The club have suggested that he apologise, and Unai Emery said that Granit Xhaka was not ready to apologise, that he's feeling very down and very sad. And I think it's a fine line between feeling down and very sad and feeling very angry and like, fuck you, I'm not going to apologise. Or if you are going to apologise, it's going to be a bit like uh, Father Jack. You know that uh, episode of Father Ted where he was made apologise and it went a bit like this? I'm so, so, sorry. So we have a problem on our hands. We still have a problem on our hands because there's been no sense from the club about what exactly they're going to do or how they're going to deal with this situation. And it's sort of, they've just sort of put it on the long finger and maybe, maybe people calm down or maybe it also speaks to a lack of decisiveness or leadership when it comes to to this particular situation, which I accept is not an easy one. It's not a, a simple solution um, because there are many factors to consider as James and I talked about on the Arscast Extra on Monday. He's a popular guy guy in the dressing room what do the players think if you take the captaincy off him so you know it's not just uh it's a fairly multifaceted uh clusterfuck you might say but something else that kind of got on my nerves a bit this week was this 
this idea that somehow Arsenal fans are are terrible fans because of what happened with with Granit Xhaka, and I, I take exception to that. To be honest, like as if we are somehow the worst fans in the history of football of all time ever because of what happened to Xhaka and the fact that he was jeered, the fact that his number came up and, you know, let's look at it. Let's look at it. He did get jeered and that's not nice, but he also invited more of that jeering and more of that opprobrium from the crowd by the way that he behaved when he went off, you know, waving his arms and cupping his ear and saying like, come on, give it to me then. Give it to me. You gave it to me. I'll give you a bit back, which, you know, I'm all right with that really, but let's, let's say, um, and let's, let's put it out there that you can think that um, Xhaka getting booed and jeered was not nice, but also think that Xhaka was in the wrong for the way that he behaved. I think those two things can go hand in hand. But this idea that somehow, because this happened, Arsenal fans en masse are terrible fans is absolutely absurd. Like, we are not the only fans in football who have ever booed one of our players. You can go back to last season where there was you know, footage of Paul Pogba being roundly abused by United fans at Old Trafford. Maybe not in the same circumstances uh, as we saw with Xhaka, but depending on your point of view, you might even say that that's worse. This was absolutely specific targeted abuse, calling him names, uh, people fronting up to him and giving out to him. And this was sort of more pantomime, if, if you want to call it that. But it happens at lots of clubs where fans... And I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. I'm just saying that this happens, that that players, managers and, you know, owners, they become the targets of fan frustration and fan ire and all those kind of things. And we're not alone in that. And yes, anyone who who sent threats to Granite Xhaka on social media, anyone who abused him over his new baby, anyone who, who abused his wife is an idiot, maybe worse than that. I'm sure you can think of plenty of names that you could call those people, but they are not representative of the vast majority of Arsenal fans. So I think it's unfair to say, well, Xhaka got this abuse, which of course is unacceptable. There's no condoning it on any level. But that abuse came from idiots who happen to be Arsenal fans. And that's way, that's the way they should be categorized first and foremost idiots who happen to be Arsenal fans rather than Arsenal fans, that somehow we as a fan base have to take collective responsibility for the behavior of what you can only uh, describe as extremists in a way, because that kind of behavior, that kind of language, which is threatening, which is abusive, which threatens the safety, perhaps, even though we all know this is like keyboard warrior kind of stuff, because these people are sitting far, far away and most of them are, are anonymous and they are who they are, and they are not to be conflated with normal, regular, reasonable Arsenal fans who may like Xhaka or dislike Xhaka, who agree with Xhaka or who don't agree with Xhaka, but who can take a sensible, logical, mannerly, nuanced view of what's happened, because they are the vast, vast majority of people. Similarly, you have a person abusing Aubameyang on the street... And it gets amplified to the point where people go, oh, Arsenal fans, they're so terrible. Look at them. They abuse their own players. No, that is one person who feels self-entitled or feels like 
the the norms of society don't apply to them. The video goes up on social media, it goes viral, and everyone goes, look at Arsenal fans, they're absolute assholes. But that's not Arsenal fans, that's an Arsenal fan, or a purported Arsenal fan, behaving in a way that they shouldn't behave. I mean, it shouldn't really need to be said that one person acting in a fucking stupid, cunty way doesn't mean that everybody else who happens to support the same football team would behave in that way or condones that kind of behavior. And it's not unique to Arsenal because there are cunts who support Man United and Liverpool and Tottenham. Well, all of them. Tottenham, of course, are are cunts. Uh, And every football club up and down the land. And it is not just a football thing. It's not just about football. This kind of behavior is endemic in society. I think it's a a symptom, perhaps, of social media. And we see it across all facets of, of life these days, that one person doing something absurd is seen as representative of that entire group of people. And it's really not the case. And I don't really think that Arsenal fans should be made feel guilty by... by media reports by some of the more holier-than-thou fans, the ones who might take it upon themselves to, to like, apologize on behalf of the entire Arsenal fan base to Aubameyang because one person said something stupid to him. It feels almost patronizing in a way because I look at that and I think, well, you know what? I reckon that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is smart enough to realize that one individual shouting and screaming at him doesn't mean that all Arsenal fans think the same way. So there's no need to apologize to him for for the actions of that one person. So while what happened to Xhaka wasn't nice, it's not the end of the world. If it causes a bit of introspection or, or people to step back and look at things a bit more objectively, that's all well and good. I think we could do with a bit more of that in general. But I take exception to this idea that Arsenal fans are are the worst. We have our wankers. Of course we do. But in every subset of, of society you have them. There are doctors who are wankers. There are dentists who are wankers. Pilots who are wankers. Politicians who are wankers. Most politicians. They're sort of the Tottenham fans of society in many ways. Whatever way you want to categorize people, there are going to be some of them that are just wankers. There's nothing we can really do about that. That's the human condition. But let's not fall into the trap of thinking that it's it's all of us. Because most of us, I think, are all right. At least most of us listening to this, I'm sure. Thank you for indulging me on that one. Let's um, let's get on with the show. And joining me now to talk about the um, the events at Anfield on Wednesday night when Arsenal played a five-five draw with Liverpool and ended up losing five-four on penalties. In the Carabao Cup, uh, Mesut Ozil's return, the Granit Xhaka situation, which is still ongoing, uh, as I mentioned there a couple of minutes ago. I'm delighted to welcome back to the Arscast, Charles Watts from Goal. Hi, Charles. Hi, Andrew. How are you getting on? I'm good, thanks. You were at the game. Um, leaving aside the result and the performances and, and all the things that we're going to talk about in a moment, what were your thoughts on it overall? Because it was a pretty remarkable night, extraordinary scoreline, a penalty shootout. And maybe the, the biggest regret of this is that uh, the, the, the best nights or the most fun nights that Arsenal have had uh, this season have come in cup competitions, and now we've got one less. Yeah, indeed. I mean, it was, honestly, it was a remarkable night to try and sit there in the press box in the second half and 
and write your report and sort of get the theme of how it's going to go. At one point you thought, yes, is it Arsenal are uncomfortably and suddenly the comeback was on with Liverpool 4 all. And I think when Joe stuck that one in the top corner, I thought yeah. surely that's that's it now. It's Arsenal. It's Arsenal's to to uh, lose, and somehow they did manage to lose it. Still, the only Arsenal that lost that game. It was, it was a remarkable game to sit there and witness. And I think it fell on the same day, seven years on from that Reading five, Arsenal seven. So October the thirtieth seems to be a seems to be a day that brings goals when Arsenal were in Carroll League Cup action. It was yeah. It was it was. It was pretty remarkable. Twice Arsenal had a two-goal lead, um, which they got pegged back with, um, and leading well into injury time. I know we can talk about you know game management and and ultimately what it might mean in the, in the grand scheme of things, but I think there were positives for Arsenal on the night. There's no question about that. Like it's it's weird to say it that on a night when. Um, you concede five goals and people say, what positives? You know, you let five goals in. Well, we also scored five goals, which is which is a genuine positive. And I think the the main one for me is is Gabriel Martinelli, the young Brazilian who has now scored seven goals this season. He's only a goal behind Aubameyang in the top scorer list. And the more you look at him, the more you think, holy crap, we have really discovered or uncovered uh, a talent here. Yeah, I mean he's he's hit the ground running, hasn't he? He looks uh, he looks like you you kind of actually have to want to hold yourself back from going too far with him. But like you said, he he looks like one hell of a talent. The mad thing is that so many other teams had a really good look at Martinelli in the couple of years before Arsenal got the deal done. You know, he was at Man United, he was at Barcelona, and no one took a punt on him. Um, his plan's always been to come over to Europe. He's been desperate for it. It's all been part of this big project that him and his team have set up. And, um, and yeah, like I said, he's been over here. He's had trials. He's had stays with clubs, training sessions, and Arsenal. Uh, Arsenal took took the uh, took the punt, and it looks like it's worked out. I mean, seven goals already. Four. Um, he scored in his first four starts. He got to go back to righty to find somebody's done that. That was so funny, Arsenal. actually. I, I I noticed that on Twitter. <laughs> I noticed that yeah. on Twitter last night when you mentioned that. And Ian Wright comes in and goes, tag me in next time. Tag me, yeah, tag me. <laughs> Sorry, Wrighty, I will do next time. Um, and he's a top-scoring teenager in Europe's top five leagues as well. I mean, it's been a wonderful start from him. And I know you know, Emery says that he still sees him as a winger. That Martinelli sees himself as a winger. But when he plays in that central striker um, role, his finishing is pretty much on point. I mean, there are a couple of chances yesterday he didn't take, I suppose. But his movement, his work rate, I mean... For a team, I mean, Emery likes his team to press. That's what he's always, always said. But for a team that he wants to press, not many of his players actually do that. Um, <laughs> but but Martinelli certainly does. I mean, defenders hate him. Even Arsenal defenders hate playing against him in training. He's just horrible. He's that like that annoying wasp that doesn't leave you alone in the summer when you're sitting in a beer garden. Yeah, and um, he does look one hell of a talent. And anyway, what more has he got to do to start starting in the Premier League? It's going to be tough because he's got a Bamiang and Lacazette ahead of him in that forward role. But when you look at his numbers and what he's producing when he's on the pitch, it's going to be tough for Emery to start leave, to continue leaving him out in the Premier League. I, I think he really is making a case for himself to start games. And look, as centre forward, when you've got Aubameyang and Lacazette, um, you know that is a more difficult job. But you know, it does feel like maybe there's somebody who could come into that front three and balance things because there is that question: is like, how do you get Aubameyang and Lacazette into the same team at the same time? You know, Lacazette is the centre forward guy, and Aubameyang is the guy who has to play 
who has to play wide and look he has scored goals there for Arsenal but there's no question that it doesn't really get the best out of him and we could see it in the the game against Crystal Palace where he had fewer touches than any other Arsenal player by by quite a long way so he was quite isolated there whereas Martinelli looks like he could come in and give it a bit of balance and and you talk about the pressing thing you know there was a moment last night where um, I had to do a double take because he pressed one of the defenders at one point and uh, they moved the ball away from him and he, he was sort of gesturing for other people to come along and press with him it really looked like Alexis Sanchez when he used to do the same thing where he would press 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 and he'd look behind him and everyone's standing there watching him going look at him doing that pressing thing that's interesting yeah I mean there's only so long you can you can leave him out when he's producing what he's producing when given an opportunity no matter what his age no matter who he's got in front of him there is only so long you can you can leave a player out. And, I mean, you talk about this Nicolas Pepe over on the right as well. We all want Pepe to do well. Arsenal were desperate for him to do well. They've shelled out such a big amount of money on him. But if he's not producing, and Martinelli is, then, you know, if, if Emery really does see Martinelli as a wide man, then, you know, he could he could perhaps play on the right and then he can still accommodate Lacazette and Aubameyang if you really want to do that. So there is, like you said, there is opportunity mm. for him to be brought into that Premier League eleven. It's um, And if he keeps going up, going and the way he is, it's going to be hard. The only issue for him now, obviously, he's only got the Europa League. He hasn't got the League Cup anymore to make his mark because, uh, yeah, because well, we all know how it all ended yeah. uh, last night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, look, he does have some Europa League games to come. I think there's what three more game, three more group games to yeah. come. So, you know, even more chances for him to to hammer down the door. Um, Joe Willock and Ainsley Maitland-Niles, two young men who've had a bit of a difficult time of late. Um, Willock was taken off at halftime in two successive games, and you can question the the man management there from Unai Emery. At the same time, you would have to admit that he, you know he didn't in those games hit the heights that he has earlier in the season. Uh, Maitland-Niles, since Callum Chambers has gone to right back, and Hector Bellerin is is back in, uh, you know, making his way back from that injury. You know, his chances have been limited as well. But, you know, over the course of a long season, we're going to need the entire squad. And this idea that we can just write off young players because they've had a couple of bad games seems a bit um, counterintuitive to me. So to see them both get on the score sheet, you know, I know they had their their moments where perhaps things didn't go right. But Maitland-Niles got a goal and Joe Willock also got a goal and probably the goal of the night. Um, maybe between him and Oxley Chamberlain for the long range screamer, but it was you know it was great to see them come through and and just just remind people that they've got a bit about them. Yeah, absolutely. You can't you can't write players that the young players off just because they had a couple of bad games. Like it wasn't long ago, everyone was raving about Joe Willis and saying he should be playing at number ten in the Premier League um, eleven. So just because he's had a couple of bad games, you're going to get that with youngsters. They're inconsistent, aren't they? That's what young players are. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I thought Willis' goal was amazing. It just, I couldn't stop thinking about Vieira's goal against Newcastle. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. It, was just, it was just like a carbon, carbon copy, copy yeah. of it. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, fantastic strike. And, and Ainsley Maitland as well, he's, he's had a tough time. I think he's struggling. He's still not, he's been moved from one position that wasn't his to now playing in another position that's not his. And he's not getting a chance in his favourite central role. But he did well last night. I mean, um, we talk about pressing and jumping on opportunities. He certainly did that for the fourth goal. You know, he seized on Milner's back pass and yeah. um, obviously it was it really couldn't miss really because of uh, the artistry of Ozil and that wonderful flick he produced um, uh, and yeah it was good for them both I saw Ian Wright again on social media saying you know well done to those two and echoing your words really that they've had a cu- tough couple of weeks and it was good to see them come out come out of it and get a goal and hopefully um, sort of move forward unfortunately they both limped very very heavily through the mix zone after the game 
and so did uh, Sia Kalasnach. I think the three of those players are going to struggle for the weekend because they didn't look in the best of shape, I have to admit. Yeah, Willock picked up a knock, didn't he, in the first half? It looked like a, a fairly substantial one. I didn't see what happened to Maitland-Niles and Kalasnach came off late. Um, you know, I think with Kalasnach, at least there is the, the idea that Kieran Tierney is now the Premier League left-back. Yeah. So, you know, that that's fine. Willock maybe um, wouldn't have, wouldn't be playing on Saturday anyway, perhaps because of the re-emergence, if you like, of, of one man you mentioned him there, Mesut Ozil, who was back in the squad, back in the team. And, you know, you can say whatever you like, not you in particular, but people can say what they like about, you know, well, it was just the Carabao Cup, it was just Liverpool. But it was one of those games where traditionally you wouldn't say the... the um, the circumstances were ideal for Mesut Ozil. You know, it's away from home. It's against a good team, even if it's not necessarily their strongest team. Um, I thought he played really well. He played so well, it made me wonder, you know, why he hasn't been in the team or at least on the bench for the last couple of games. You know, there was no no suggestion that he was gassed after 45 minutes. Um, what, what did you make of his performance first? And I want to ask you uh, about what might happen next afterwards. I thought he was fantastic. I thought he was the best player on the pitch by an absolute mile for for the first sixty five minutes. Just uh, the, like you, I was one. I was I was keen to see how he was going to cope, having been out for five weeks, thrown back into the sort of lion's pit, really, that can be Anfield on a on a night game. And and I didn't understand people were moaning in the build up to it, having to go at Emery Centre. He's throwing those ones. There a bus playing in there. It's like, well, I didn't get that. It was like, look, he's got his chance now. We've all wanted him to get his chance. He's got a ch- chance. Who cares? who it's against and where it is at least he's got a chance to make his mark and, um, and he certainly did that I mean I thought he was absolutely brilliant and in a game it was a crazy game right now I mean, when, when there's 10 goals there's a game littered with mistakes and um, he was the one standout player in terms of Clark. everything he did really was quality on the ball I think he had a 92% pass rate at the end of it he obviously had the one assist which was just brilliant I mean, any normal player would have slid in then panicking trying to just sweep it in from a from a tight angle making the wrong wrong decision because he probably wouldn't have been able to, to score it and but Ozil just the calmness in that situation to know exactly what he was going to do and produce the, the drag back and the, the flick for Maitland it was just yeah. so good and the same for the Martinelli second goal with that little flick for Saka and even in the first goal he was the reverse pass for Maitland Niles then the ball to Saka as well you know, just thing, everything that Arsenal have been lacking in the last certainly in the well, the whole season, really, he he produced it. I thought he was, I thought he was great, and it kind of made a mockery of what we all know is a ridiculous situation decision from Unai Emery and those above him, which I do think there is um, those above him put him uh, agreeing with leaving him out. So it's just hurting Arsenal and it's hurting yeah. Emery, and he can't afford to let it hurt him anymore because the pressure's increasing on him. By the yeah. way, yeah. What, what did you make of his quotes last week, where he said, "You know, the club are this is a club strategy." I think is is what he said. I mean, it feels to me like perhaps something got lost in translation there a bit because you know, if, if that's your strategy, why are you then picking him? If your strategy is to leave him out, why are you picking him for a game like this? You know, yeah. it, it it didn't no, I, quite. I, it didn't quite it's, sit I right with me. Well, let me let me just qu- let me clarify. Yeah, happened. I mean that's it. Do you think that that when it comes to Emery's um, selection decisions, what what he means by saying it's a club strategy is that if he decides to leave Mesut Ozil out of the squad entirely, 
then the club are okay with that, that they're backing his decisions uh, or not undermining his decisions from an executive point of view. Do you think it's more about that rather than they've all sat around and thought, how do we piss off Mesut Ozil and how do we get rid of him? Yeah, I don't think it's that. I don't think it's been some strategy around a round a board, a sort of World War Two bunker trying to work out how to force Ozil out. I think it's very much a case of Unai has been given the green light to do what he wants to do. I don't think the club are going to shed any tears if they can manage to get Ozil out of his contract early and get him off the uh, get him off the wage bill. And um, look, Emery's not strong enough. He's not a powerful figure. He's not got 20 years behind him like Arsene Wenger. To, to, he's just a head coach and he's not going to be able to leave out the club's highest earner who has raked in whatever amount of millions he's raked in since the start of the season. Just leave him out without getting the green light from the board. It's gonna, he's got, they've got to give him the OK to continue to do that. And uh, like I said, I don't think it's a strategy, but he's, he's certainly doing it with their blessing and I think he would need their blessing to do it because I just don't think he's a strong enough character within yeah. the club to actually do it himself So what about the substitution then when he took him off at 65 minutes um, you know at, at the time watching it it felt really um, it felt like a bad change because he A he was playing so well and then B subsequently I think we lost a measure of control in the game that, that he was giving us the counter argument, of course, is that he's barely played this season. Um, he's tired. He's fatigued. He didn't look tired to me. Um, but also, when he came off, he didn't really look that unhappy in the same way that he did in, for example, the the game against Nottingham Forest when he was taken off after 70 minutes. Some suggestion that this was to give him some minutes ahead of the weekend's game against Wolves. I mean, what was your reading of the change and, and do you think that he is in contention to start against Wolves? Well, I think he knew that the change was going to happen. Emery said after the game it was a great performance and he was going to play 60, 65 minutes just because he hadn't played too much football. I agree with you when when I saw the, his number go up a lot, a big sign in the, in the uh, press box. So why are you doing that? He's the best player on the pitch. He didn't look absolutely knackered. And, um, and I, you're right, I thought Arsenal did lose a lot of control and they lost a lot of quality once, it, once he went off because there was no one really to put their foot on the ball he was the only one doing that with a genuine touch of class to calm things down amid the madness um, but like I said I think it was a pre-arranged thing given his lack of game time lack of minutes and um, Emery said that um, yeah it was always going to happen and he also said that it was done in view in view of Saturday and perhaps he was going to have an involvement in that one and um, I mean look he has to start on Saturday he can't there was always a danger for Emery that when he did this when he played him again that Ozil was going to produce the type of performance that made it impossible for him to continue leaving him out and I think he's done that at Anfield I I just don't see when Arsenal are playing badly, they're not scoring goals, they're not creating chances, not winning. They've only won two of the last eight Premier League games. Yeah. The, la- the last seven goals they've scored in the Premier League, only two have been o- from open play. If, this- if the forwards aren't doing something special, then they're not. Arsenal aren't winning. They're not creating ch- They're not scoring goals. And You've got three top quality forwards there and you've got no supply line. And all that time, you've got Mesut Ozil sitting in the sand. So it's just, you can't continue with it. And he has to start. There's no more excuses for Emery, I'm afraid. He's got to bite the bullet, except he was wrong. Whatever he's, whatever talks he's had with Raul and Edu about the whole situation, they've got to say, look, it's not working and it's biting us here. And we've got to play Mesut Ozil. And it would, it would, it would be madness not to start him on Saturday, especially yeah. against the Wolves team who are going to sit deep, give Arsenal a lot of time on the ball and say to Arsenal, OK, you... 
try and unlock us. And if Ellis not in the team, they're going to struggle to unlock them. And you've got mm. a much better chance of breaking down a team that is going to try and play on the counter-attack if you've got real quality in that central area and yeah. Mesut Ozil's quality. Well, yeah, I mean, if you were being cynical, you might think that Emery bringing him back into the team at, at this point is, you know, um, not quite a, not trying to save his own job, but, like, uh, at some point, your, your principled stance goes by the wayside uh, because of expediency, because you need somebody to address the issues in the team that, that you haven't been able to address uh, until now. And I really do, uh, I think it's quite funny, and I'm, I don't mean this from what you said specifically, but just the idea that we frame this as there was a danger for Emery that Ozil might come in and play well. I mean, that's, for, for Arsenal, that's a great thing if Ozil comes in and plays well. But for the manager who's had this who's had this stance for most of the season where he's left Ozil out, I guess it is a danger, but it just sort of uh, it depends on, on your perspective, how you perceive that, whether it's a dangerous thing or not. Well, it makes him, it makes him look stupid, doesn't it? It makes yeah. him look like he's, he's hurt himself and he's hurt the team with this stance that he's taken. And, um, none of us could really understand it, could we? It's just, it's just been a baffling situation. He hates it. You know, Every press conference we ask him, every single game that Ozil's not involved, we ask him. And he hates it. He hates just the, the mention of the name because he knows he has to answer another question on it. But if you're continuing to leave out your best creator, your highest paid player, then you're going to face questions on it. And um, it's just been such a baffling scenario, especially when he played so well in pre-season and looked like he was really, really... Emery looked like he was really ready to sort of build his side around Ozil this yeah. season. And then, and then suddenly after what happened with the security issues and I don't know what happened behind the scenes following that and how Ozil reacted to it all, but all of a sudden the player that he really put a lot of trust in in pre-season was nowhere to be seen. And it was, yeah, it's, mm. it's just a difficult situation for everyone. And, but he's got, to, he's got to accept he was wrong now and, and start playing him because, it's just, like I said, it's just hurting Arsenal and Arsenal are struggling and Emery's struggling. And, you know, if, he, if things go wrong this week, if he loses at Wolves, if he loses at Leicester, then the Rational vote's going to roll around. And it's the unbelievable pressure. You've already got Jose and his people putting out his name in, in the media. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, I suppose someone asked me said there was, a, there was absolutely no way that would ever happen. An appointment like that would ever happen and the club would never go down that sort of route, and, which made me feel a hell of a lot better about it all. But, you know, just the fact that Mourinho's name is being mentioned and that, that his people are putting the feelers out like that, it's just, it shows the pressure that is on Emery. And yeah. He's got to get results quickly because Arsenal, it's a different regime at Arsenal now. And, you know, Raul's come from Barcelona, he's ruthless. He is from people I spoke to about Raul, he's not going to mess around if results continue to go south. And if Arsenal are looking like they're not even going to put up a challenge for the top four. So Emery has to start consistently getting results and yeah. he's got a better chance of doing that with Ozil on the team. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true, which sort of comes back to my point about expediency um, and what have you. Because if something that serious had happened, that Ozil was being left out of the team, you know, you can be quite sure it would have leaked uh, in order to, to cover somebody's arse. And, and the point about our Premier League form, two wins in eight, you know, that's that's just not sustainable in any way if you want to continue a challenge for the top four. I know it's early in the season. I know, well, relatively early in the season. We're heading towards the, what, a third of the season being gone uh, at this point. Um, results do have to improve. And I think if he doesn't win against Wolves and if he doesn't win against Leicester, I think um, he could be gone. Um, and and last night when we talk about the the result, ultimately, you know, disappointing to to lose a game when you've been three one up, you've been four two up, you were five four up in the last uh, minute or so. It, it is um, worrying and feeds into this overall malaise that that seems to be 
uh, around the club at, at this moment in time. What was your view on the inability to to see out that game? I mean, if he was, if his in-game management um, involved taking Ozil off to keep him fresh for Saturday, I think probably there was something similar with Lucas Torreira because... Um, the Shaka situation, which we'll talk about in a minute, probably means he's not going to be available at the weekend. So Torreira uh, could be in line for a, um, a rare Premier League start. Um, but just before we, we talk about that, your, your thoughts on on not being able to see that game out? How does it reflect on 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 Emery in in the context of everything else that's going on? Yeah, look, it was it was disappointing, and I spoke to Emi Martinez after the game in the mix zone, and he. He said it himself that it was for the for the players in there. They were all devastated. They couldn't hold on. They led three one. They led four two. On both occasions, they conceded goals pretty much straight away. Like the, the goal, the penalty just before half time, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure was a dive. Um, it was. And <laughs> yeah, it was a dive. I know Torreira was, was offside as well, so it kind of evens it out. But at least that was a, a wrong refereeing decision or a, a, a mistake. It wasn't cheating, which I thought mm. Liverpool Liverpool one was. Um, and then the 4-2 as well, they just got themselves in that commanding position again and then they conceded. I mean, there's not much you can do when Ox turns and smacks on in the top corner like that. But it's just every time they seemed in a real position of power in the game, they conceded. And and then, yeah, obviously right at the very end, it was a, it was a decent finish by Rigi, but I think they should have probably done more to, to close the guy down out on the right and stop the cross coming in. It's just something we've seen time and time again with Arsenal, isn't it? They can't close out games. They can't, they can't hold on to leads. And... It was disappointing. Um, the substitutions didn't help. Uh, I would say I thought Ozil probably could have stayed on and would have controlled things a lot more in the central areas. I thought Torreira was playing all right, and and but you got you got to look ahead to the weekend as well. And given what's going on with Xhaka at the moment, you expect Torreira is probably going to start against Wolves, so you can see why he, he did that. And um, and right at the end, he was going to bring Lacquer on and had to change his mind because Kalasnach got the injury and Tierney had to come on. So, you know, if Lacazette was on the pitch, he probably would have taken a penalty. He, wouldn't, he would have taken a penalty, wouldn't he? So yeah. maybe Arsenal would have had more chance in a shootout. But it's, it's one of those things. It was a crazy game. I think games management goes out the window kind of in those sort of matches. We've seen it before, haven't we? The 5-4 at White Lane, the 7-5 at Reading, the 5 all last night. It's yeah. just one of those nights where the you know, mistakes are all over the place. People are sticking them in the top corner from all over the place. It's just a, it was just a remarkable game of football. Yeah, a classic cup uh, rope a dope encounter, if you like, where the the two teams are really having a go at each other. But it, you know, it is it is difficult sometimes, isn't it, to look at you know defensive mistakes and you know what it might mean for the the character of the team or the mindset of the team, you know, to, to lose a two goal lead twice, um, you know, as we did against Crystal Palace, uh, as we did against Watford earlier in the season, it, you know, it's, it's not more of the same. And look, I'm not, I'm not that fussed about going out of the, the Carabao cup, to be honest, you know, we have bigger fish to fry and, you know, he didn't, he didn't really risk any of his big players in last night's game for no reason because he was under pressure. So, you know, I'm on board with the team selection, but just, you know, overall, it seems to be part of, part of the struggle that we're, we're going through at this moment. Yeah, well, it's just another defeat, isn't it? At the end of yeah. the day, it's another, it's another defeat. Another game goes by about Arsenal getting a win, and they're struggling to get wins in whatever competition it is at the moment. And that can't keep going on, certainly not for the manager and, um, or the coach. And, and they've got to get out of this little rut they're in, and they had a good opportunity to do that. And it's difficult to win at Anfield, no matter what team you're playing against. It's very, very difficult. They haven't lost there since September last year in any competition. And you've got to feel that Arsenal should have ended that run last night. But 
but they didn't, and mm. it's, it's certainly going to affect those players on the pitch. I mean, Martinez was gutted afterwards. I mean, he prides himself on his penalties as well, and he was really disappointed. They only went the right way once. He just said it was one of those nights for him where things didn't work out, and I think defensively, that's that was the case again. Arsenal just couldn't deal with balls they put, perhaps should have dealt with. I think, they, like I said, should have done better with a fifth goal and mm. Mustafi with the first goal. I mean, that's just an absolute howler of a, of a error that sums up his time at Arsenal really and um, yeah it was it was disappointing night in that regard and there's certainly going to be some players who are going to feel it in terms of the back line but like you said at the start this is, there was definite positives to take out of this one as well going mm. forward and no one's going to shed too many tears about get, going out of that competition No I mean I don't think that's the thing that will define Unai Emery's job it's just another little notch on the 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 bedpost if you like that's a weird analogy to make there but um that uh, it's just the weight of evidence is mounting that's kind of what i'm i'm trying to say here no, um, absolutely <laughs> let's just talk a little bit about granite jacka then because um at the time of talking it's thursday afternoon we haven't heard a thing yet from granite jacka the club captain um the club's response has been to to sort of frame it in a in a certain way in that like he's sad and he's down and he's devastated and they want to support him and and everything else um depending on who you talk to the player's point of view or the player's mindset might be a little less um sad and a bit more angry what yeah. what is your take on a the fact that we 4 days later still haven't heard a single word from Granite Xhaka about what happened on, on Sunday. And whatever way you want to frame it and however you you feel fans behaved or anything like it, you can also think that what Xhaka did was wrong. And B, what, 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 what do you think of how the club have handled this? Should they have been stronger? Should they have shown a bit more conviction in the way that it's been dealt with? Um... Yes, 100%, but I think that Emery's pathetic decision, really, in the summer, or later on in the summer, in fact, to put this to a vote, put the captaincy to a vote, is coming back to bite him on this one, his indecisiveness in the summer. Um, because Xhaka's not his captain, he's the player's captain. I know Emery's got to give the green light to it all and ultimately name, name the skipper, but the fact that it's all been put put out as you know, a player's vote and everything like that, he's going to... I think Emery's in a really, really weak position now because he he's come out. He said he wants Jacker to apologise. He said he said it publicly, and yet four days, five days after, Jacker said nothing. And and the club have been putting a lot of pressure on him. Jacker was in on Monday with Emery, Raul, and Edu. They all wanted him to apologise. They're all urging him to apologise, but Jacker's not doing it. He, yes, he's devastated. He's sad at what's happened, but in terms of what I've been told, he's he's. He's, he's refusing, re- refusing. to apologise at the moment yeah. because he feels, he's, he's, like you said, he feels angry, pissed off more than um, more than sad in terms of how the fans remorseful. Yeah, he, he, he thinks this is more. It's more than just Sunday. This has been a this has been something that's been building for an awful long time in terms of him. The abuse he's had to take, the, cheer, the ironic cheers at substitutions, what has gone on on social media, and it all sort of came to a head on a, on Sunday. And he he doesn't feel like he should be apologising at the moment because of because of the abuse he's had to endure since being at Arsenal. And, um, you know, whether that changes, I mean, look, his captain's note is going to be interesting on Saturday. <laughs> if nothing's come out before then, his captain's note will certainly be interesting. Just a picture um, of him standing there with two middle fingers up. Yeah, basically that's going to be it. And, and you know, as soon as 
I think for, for Emery, it was a nice little sort of welcome release the game on Wednesday night because it's all he's been really thinking about since Sunday. But now he's as soon as he got back on the coach, that problem is going to raise its head again. He's got a press conference tomorrow, Unai, and if Arsenal once again haven't put anything out, they're going to le- let him face the music for a second time in a week. Um, then he's going to have to deal with a lot of uncomfortable questions, and and then you've got the whole the match on Saturday. And like yeah. I said, the, the program notes may sort of be a jokey thing, but it's it's actually a thing. It's yeah, like, yeah. Is he going to write them? Is he going to be there? They're going to remove it completely. What you know? What's going to happen? And what's he going to say? Think, yeah, yeah. I mean, Arsenal have got to be strong. They've just got to be strong with it. But because like Emmy Martinez last night, we spoke to him about it. He's the first Arsenal player really to sit well to, to sit down and talk about the, the situation. And he says that the players absolutely back Granite Xhaka he's their leader and uh, they support him they've been rallying around him um, and they support him and that's that's the problem Emery has he's by throwing it out to the players by giving them effectively giving them the power he now risks alienating his entire dressing room if he if he makes a makes a firm decision and you know say strips Xhaka as a captaincy or anything like that against all the squad's wishes and he's, he's in a difficult situation but I do think a lot of it's down to, his, to himself and the, the way he managed the whole captain situation in the summer and yeah. we all knew Shelney was going uh, from the moment he went on strike we knew he was going and the new captain needed to be picked and he didn't do it until the end of September I mean what is that about it was yeah. so ridiculous and it's it was just another example of Emery being indecisive something that's all the clubs he's been at before has been it's been said about him and, and I think he's he, he's dug himself a hole now and um, it's going to be really interesting to see how yeah. it all plays out because does... Xhaka is a complex sure. character he's passionate you speak to anyone behind it and it's not just Xhaka it's his dad as well really really stubborn some will say and passionate and they firmly have their own beliefs and you're not going to convince Xhaka to do something he doesn't want to do. You're really not going to be able to pressure him into it. So unless Xhaka has to change a heart, then it's going to be a situation that rumbles on for a fair bit yet. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I do agree with you about Emery. The indecision and the the prevarication over making Xhaka the captain and then not necessarily putting it entirely to a player's vote, but using the player's vote, it sort of undermined his authority in a big way. And uh, I think Amy Lawrence hinted at something like that in the in the Athletic piece that she wrote, that Xhaka himself was frustrated about how long it took to make the decision um, when it could have been made back in, in August uh, or when they were away on tour, you know, that that could have, that could have happened back then. I mean, do you, do you think there's a way back for, for Xhaka without an apology? Is that something he has to do to 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 sort of clear the air? Because um, if fans are willing to forgive Shaka for uh, the way they feel he behaved, if he feels that fans should also uh, have some remorse for the abuse that he's been given, it's not a one-way street. It has to come from both sides, doesn't it? So if there's going to be like a, a rapprochement, like next time Shaka comes onto the pitch and there's this generous, if somewhat guilty applause for him, it can't happen without him extending the olive branch the other way a little. Yeah. I mean, do you think there's going to be general applause for him when he comes on the pitch? Well, I mean, it depends, it depends what he I, says. I mean, without, without addressing it or without sort of at least holding his hands up and saying, look, what I did was wrong, but this is why I did it or this is why I felt I did it. You know, he could, you know, I, I'm not saying he's going to win everybody back, but if he just sort of says nothing, then it will continue to fester, won't it? Yeah. No, no, he, he has to say something. He, he, he has to address it. He can't. He can't act like nothing's happened and just hope it all goes under the table because it's not going to happen. But I don't really want him to make this apology, this big apology, if he doesn't, 
doesn't it mean doesn't it, yeah. mean it and it comes across like that so um it's got to be carefully managed whatever happens but no, i think it's the beginning of the end for jack at arsenal i can't see him being there next season i think that it's going to be very very difficult he wasn't popular at the start start of it but i think irreversible damage is going to be done over this the next time he gets himself sent off the next time he gives away a penalty the next time he gives away a goal which it is going to happen because it's Granite Xhaka. It's all it's all going to come back at him again, and I, I think it's a it's a long way back for Xhaka. He might well play again this season. I'm sure he probably will play again this season, and will probably become a, a, a regular in the team again at some point during the season. But I think long term, I think what what happened on Sunday is the uh, the beginning of the end for Xhaka at Arsenal. All right, just very finally on this, if we talk about Emery, perhaps. Um having a lack of authority in this situation or the situation being complicated for him by the fact that the players absolutely back Shaka um, and they are behind him and that does make it awkward for him to sort of say, right, I'm stripping you of the captaincy, I'm making somebody else captain, etc., etc. You know, if, if he's faced with that position, um, do we have to maybe step back and say, okay, well, Emery is the head coach and that there are people at the football club with more authority than him. So we've got a head of football in Raul Sanyehi. We've got a technical director in Edu. Um, there is a, a committee at the club who look after all footballing matters. Is this something that unless Emery can find a solution or find a way to deal with it, and if Xhaka continues to refuse to apologize or, or address the situation in any meaningful way beyond changing his Instagram profile... Does it, is it not incumbent on them to sort it out? Yeah, absolutely. And I think they're trying to, their best to do that. And it's it's going to have to happen at some point. Someone's going to have to make a final decision on the, on the whole situation. Because um, I think everyone, like like you said earlier, it can't be allowed to, to just rumble on and be swept under the carpet. It's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to have to come to a head some, some way or the other. And Emery's very public statement that Xhaka has to apologise and should apologise has put Emery in a situation now where um, if he doesn't apologise, then once again, he looks very, very weak. And, um, but I, uh, the thing that's going to help him is that Raul, Raul and Edu both think Xhaka should apologise as well and they know the importance of an apology um, in terms of you know just getting Xhaka back out on the pitch at some point for the rest of the season. So mm. um, I think the pressure from above is is going to be increasing the longer that it goes on without Xhaka saying anything. And um, uh, and so, yeah, so it, it, both of them, they'll be, I'm sure they're in, um, London Colney again today trying to trying to deal with the situation everyone was well aware of the, the, just the whole captain's note thing on Saturday again it, although I was sort of joking about it it is it is a topic of discussion <laughs> Arsenal yeah. about what exactly is going to happen there and um, and so I, I do I feel like something's going to be said before before Saturday I can't I'll be very surprised yeah. if we go into that game without some sort of official response and not just Unai Emery's comments in his press conference tomorrow but some sort of official response that includes comments from um, probably one of the one of the footballing committee and and Xhaka himself mm. well it's a good job we have five captains so if Xhaka still refuses we can pick one of the other four to, to do the notes for Saturday <laughs> um, <laughs> just look, give it to Hector just honestly you should, they should have given it Hector in the first place so yeah. definitely give it to him now yeah absolutely I'm on board I'm on board listen we better leave it there I know you've, you're a push for time but appreciate you talking to me Charles thanks very much no worries cheers Andrew mate hold up what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you very much indeed to Charles. You can find him on Twitter at Charles underscore Watts. That's at Charles underscore Watts. And that's just about that from the Carabao Cup for this season. Liverpool 5, Arsenal 5. Wouldn't it be great if they got the, you know, the movie trailer guy? You know the guy, like, one man isolated and alone comes in from the dark. Mesut Ozil is the returninator or whatever. Like, I want that guy to read the classified football results. Please, somebody make that happen, if you could. I'd appreciate it. Um, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you will know that we dig, we enjoy, we are fans of uh, a good bit of foreign language commentary when it comes to Arsenal. We try and include some of them in the intros to the Arsecast Extra. But I did like this one from uh, Wednesday night. It comes from being sport. And this is the Joe Willett goal. I'm not sure what I like more, the actual commentator or the guy just breaking his shit laughing in the background at what was just a crazy, incredible game of football. It was like, what the fuck is going to happen next? Maybe Liverpool might even get a late equaliser. Oh, anyway, look, we draw a line under that. We move on because this weekend we've got Premier League football. We face Wolves at the Emirates in a game on a Saturday, which is so, so strange because we feel it feels like we've been locked into this Thursday-Sunday grind for, for ages now. But it is a Saturday game. The first three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday that we have had so far this season. Not that that's the most important thing, but... It's still a bit sad to feel like this is the the exception, the very rare exception, and not the norm. The most important thing, of course, is that Arsenal win this game and take three points because league form has not been good. Two wins from our last eight. We played Sheffield United and we played Crystal Palace games from which you would have expected Arsenal, well, an Arsenal that are, are ambitious enough to be going for the top four to win. As usual, with all due respect to the opposition, blah, blah, blah. But it's one point from the last six and two wins from the last eight. So anything other than a win against Wolves on Saturday is going to see the pressure mount on Unai Emery considerably, as it should, if we don't win this home game against Wolves. But also the gap between Arsenal and the top four probably grow even wider. And the wider that grows the closer it comes to the time when the people running the football club have got a decision to make. Because if we don't finish in the top four this season, it will have been a failure, I think. Based on the squad that we have and the players that we have, to not finish in the top four based on what's going on around us and some of the uh, the problems that the other teams are having, uh, having, I think that would be a failure. And the longer it goes 
in this run of form, which, unfortunately, stretches back to the end of last season as well, the more difficult it's going to be for us to uh, to achieve that goal, which is our main goal this season. Whether you like it, whether you think we should be more ambitious, realistically, we're not title challengers. We all know that. So getting into the top four is, is our be-all and end-all, really. And then we can build from there. That's the whole point. We build from there. But I feel like more and more... I feel like we've got good ingredients, but it increasingly looks like we've got the wrong chef. And unless he can find the blend of herbs and spices, you know what I mean? But unless he can bring things together quickly, our season is in danger of, of becoming a real scrap, a real scrap. And it's not that it would be easy to get into the top four, but you have to at some point look at a run of form that a team is on and ask, is the coach the right guy to get to get us out of it? The team on Saturday, it's got to include Mesut Ozil. It has to. We're going to bring in Aubameyang. We're going to bring in Pepe. Lacazette will probably start. So you've got potentially the chance to see what um, many believe is the right way for us to connect midfield and attack, which is with Ozil being a creator. But also with the absence of Xhaka, the double pivot of Torreira and Genduzi is something that we, um, we've we been eager to see. And circumstances dictate that that's probably going to be the midfield two that Unai Emery is going to pick. And hopefully it works. Hopefully it produces a better performance than we've seen in recent weeks. And realistically, throughout most of this season, the performances in Premier League terms have not been great. So... With a difficult trip away to Leicester next weekend, anything less than three points on Saturday against Wolves is going to be another black mark for for the coach. I think that we have the talent and the ability and the players to, to do better and to play better than we are right now. And I hope we see the team perform on Saturday. I hope that we can take three points. But I worry a little bit because... Well, you saw what happened in midweek. You saw what happened against Crystal Palace. You saw what happened against Watford. You've all watched the games this season where we haven't been convincing in Premier League terms. So, look, the most important thing is for us to get points on the board. Other decisions can come in tandem with that. And uh, hopefully, when James and I are speaking on Monday morning uh, in the Arscast Extra, we are talking about a good Arsenal win because we need those points. The last couple of games have been really, really damaging and we need to get ourselves back on track. Just a reminder that if you want to support us on Patreon and get ad-free podcasts, you get ad-free apps for uh, iOS and for Android and lots more besides, join us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Uh, It costs a fiver a month. You get instant access to everything. And you can sign up for as long as you want or even just a month if that's all you want to. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash arsblog. James and I will be here on Monday with the Arscast Extra. Fingers crossed for a good footballing weekend and something that will lift all our moods. Uh, Until then, take it easy, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye.
Welcome back to Holy God FM, Fleetwood Mac and Little Lies. Don't forget later this evening, Art Father will be on between 11 and 2 with more 80s classics. Now though, we have an email from a listener. They say, Dear Holy God FM, My boss has been very mean to me lately. He hasn't been giving me work to do, even though I'd like to do the work. Sure, I'm getting paid and all, but that's not giving me fulfilment. Now though, he's under a bit of pressure and he's bringing me back into the fold to see if I can help. I know that Jesus said, forgiveness is nine-tenths of the law, but I still feel very unhappy about this. My feelings were very hurt and I feel like I've been humiliated in front of all my colleagues. That's not easy to forget or forgive. Please, Holy God FM, in my hour of need, tell me, what would you do in these very difficult circumstances? Well, listener, whoever you are, I thought about this long and hard. You're right, it's not easy, but if it were me, and I'm only speaking on my own behalf here, if it were me, I'd go out and I'd create three goals for Obama Yang and probably score a couple myself. Anyway, it's up to you how you continue. This is Holy God FM, playing all the hits that you want to hear. Here's a song for the week that's in it. It's the Bangles, going down to Liverpool. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 